Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hi, I'm Bella Perez Rubio, Puma Podcast, and you're listening to Teca Teca News. What you're about to hear is a condensed version of our explainer on Queen Elizabeth II's death and the dark history of the crown jewels. The late, most high, most mighty, and most excellent monarch, Elizabeth II, by the grace of God, of the United Kingdom of Great Britain and Northern Ireland, and of her other realms and territories, Queen, Head of the Commonwealth, Defender of the Faith, and Sovereign of the Most Noble Order of the Garter. In today's episode, we talk about why the end of Queen Elizabeth II's reign has some countries calling for the return of the crown jewels. We also ask, how much longer can the British monarchy last? Genuine sorrow and praise quickly poured in from across the globe following the death of the world's longest reigning monarch, Elizabeth II, who died at Balmoral Castle in Scotland at the age of 96 earlier this month. British media dutifully paid the highest tribute to their sovereign. They switched their logos to black and guested talking heads, harping on about how her death is a significant moment, not just for the whole country, but for the whole world. But the conversation in other parts of the world was quite different. There was criticism, and there was growing clamor from those who have been trying to collect reparations from the British Empire. Reparations for what, exactly? Remember what the monarchy was built on. There's so much diversity in how people react. There's genuine sadness for a lot of people, but there's also genuine revulsion from a lot of people. Because of what the monarch stands for. That's Javier Tionloc. He's a European studies professor at the Ateneo de Manila University, where he also teaches an elective on monarchy. The contemporary monarchy is a successor of centuries of empire, centuries of imperialism. And of course, with imperialism comes experiences and now memories of abuse. Violent experiences, violent memories. Of crimes that have yet to be addressed in legitimate forms of reparation. When we talk about imperialism, we also talk about the very images of imperialism, the contemporary symbols that still exist. You really have those looted heritage artifacts. It's no wonder then that the response of some former colonies from India to Nigeria was to come collecting. Some of them want the crown itself, or at least parts of it. Literally. You have a lot of the diamonds. India was the primary source of diamonds in the world. And India was, of course, the jewel in the British Empire. 
One of the most controversial pieces is the Kohinoor, or the Mountain of Light. It's a 105-carat oval-shaped diamond, now estimated to be worth between $400 to $600 million. The Kohinoor forms part of the British crown jewels and was worn by Queen Elizabeth II during her coronation. So the Kohinoor is so symbolic because the general narrative about that specific diamond is that the British would say that it was given to them as a gift. But everyone who is sensible enough to understand the dynamics of empire knows that it was taken by force and given to the crown as a symbol of victory that the British had already conquered effectively the entirety of India. The origins of the diamond are shrouded in mystery. But according to the Smithsonian, the British got a hold of it in 1849 when they annexed parts of India. Then, they forced the heir to the throne, Dilip Singh, to sign a document giving away the Kohinoor and all claims to sovereignty. Keep in mind, Dilip was only 10 years old at the time. Why is Kohinoor so important? Because the Kohinoor was the specific artifact that the Indian government asked to be returned. And then, David Cameron, as British Prime Minister back then, said no. It's not to be returned. So all of a sudden, it complicates the very discussion on the material and the practical approach to reparations. It's not just India's Kohinoor. South Africa claims a few other prized jewels. The Cullinan One, also known as the Great Star of Africa, is the world's largest known clear-cut diamond. It's 530.2 carats and is embedded on the Queen's scepter. The 317-carat Cullinan II diamond, meanwhile, sits front and center of the crown. But the thing about it is, I don't think the Kohinoor diamond or even the Cullinan diamond from South Africa, the one on the crown itself, they might not be returned just because they just hold so much significance to the British as well. They would probably return some marbles, the marble statues that were taken from Greece or taken from the Middle East. But I don't think they would return that. For the British, these jewels are remnants of their glorious empire, a reminder of their hegemony around the world. But for countries like South Africa and India, they're painful reminders of the violent pillaging of their lands. But it's not actually up to the British royal family to decide whether these jewels should be returned. A lot of people are looking, are pressuring the crown, Charles III, William, as the new Prince of Wales, to return the artifacts. But just by looking at that specific episode, wherein the prime minister said the British are not returning the artifacts, says that it's really about parliament itself as well. That the British Empire was actually run by a legitimate democratic government. It's, a, it's intentionally confusing for a lot of people. It is designed to be confusing. But if we are to talk about the practical reality of literally giving back stolen treasures, it's parliament that has to decide. And people have to vote for politicians who are in favor of returning looted artifacts. What that means is, these jewels actually belong to the state. That's why the, the very process is very interesting. Of course, it opens up very necessary debates. If you ask me as a political scientist, I also like to talk about policy outcomes. How could the discussion result in the actual returning of artifacts? 
you have to engage the existing political processes. And in the UK, it's actually through parliament. Parliament must vote that we will decide to return this. And the moment parliament says that we will return it, then they, they will return it. And of course, all this leads to the other big question. What place does a British royal family have in this modern world? A financial report showed that the royal family cost British taxpayers 102.4 million euros in 2021, at the time when people across the UK can't even afford gas or heating. The grand state funeral will likewise be paid for by taxpayers, right smack in the middle of Britain's worst economic crisis in recent history. We're not even touching on the personal wealth inherited by members of the royal family or the firm, an estimated $28 billion. So with its iconic figurehead gone, how much longer can the monarchy expect to go on? Already, surveys show that many young Britons would rather do away with the monarchy. Longevity, I think they will still remain a monarchy for at least two reigns. I think William will reach a point that he will still be king. I don't think Britain will become a republic while Charles is king, unless he does something so absurd. Still, Javier doesn't think King Charles III's reign will be as successful. It's because first, Queen Elizabeth II was so successful in keeping herself enigmatic. Very few people knew what she was thinking. She was just there. With Charles, everyone knows more or less what he thinks because he is a very vocal and opinionated human. Everyone knows what his preferences are on climate change. Everyone knows what his preferences are on cultural heritage. And of course, people can't forget Charles's many missteps before he became king. And at the same time, of course, Charles grew up and lived in the era of massive public scrutiny, which he brought onto himself. He had the history of divorce, infidelity, the Diana legacy will also affect how people perceive Charles and his wife. So that will be the skeleton in his closet. That how do you now revere a king who made so many mistakes that so many people hated just 25, 30 years ago? And that was today's episode of Teka Teka. Again, I'm Bella Perez Rubio. This episode was produced by Kat Ventura and edited by Presh Capistrano. Again, this was just a condensed version of our story on Queen Elizabeth II's death and the dark side of the crown jewels. To listen to the full episode, go to our Teka Teka Explains channel, our new explainer series covering stories you can't find elsewhere. If you like this episode, share it with a friend or two. And of course, don't forget to follow Teka Teka and Puma Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.